Chapter Thirteen, Part One of The General History of the Pirates, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The General History of the Pirates, Volume One, by Charles Johnson. Chapter Thirteen, Part One of Captain Edward Lowe and His Crew. Edward Lowe was born in Westminster and had his education there, such as it was, for he could neither write or read. Nature seemed to have designed him for a pirate from his childhood, for very early he began the trade of plundering, and was wont to raise contributions among all the boys of Westminster. And if any were bold enough to refuse it, a battle was the consequence. But Lowe was so hardy, as well as bold, there was no getting the better of him so that he robbed the youths of their farthings with impunity. When he grew bigger, he took to gaming in a low way, for it was commonly among the footmen in the lobby of the House of Commons, where he used to play the whole game, as they term it, that is, cheat all he could, and those who pretended to dispute it with him must fight him. The virtues of some of his family were equal to his. One of his brothers was a youth of genius when he was but seven years old, he used to be carried in a basket upon a porter's back into a crowd and snatch hats and wigs according to the exact chronology of newgate he was the first who practised this ingenious trick after this he applied himself to picking of pockets when he increased in strength he attempted greater things such as housebreaking in company but after he had run a short race he had the misfortune of ending his days at tyburn in company with stephen bunce and the celebrated jack hall the chimney-sweeper but to return to ned when he came to man's estate at his eldest brother's desire he went to sea with him and so continued three or four years and then parted and ned worked in a rigging-house in boston in new england for a while about six years ago he took a trip home to england to see his mother who is yet living his stay was not long here, but taking leave of his friends and acquaintance for the last time he should see them, for so he was pleased to say. He returned to Boston and worked a year or two longer at the rigging business, but being too apt to disagree with his masters, he left them and shipped himself in a sloop that was bound to the Bay of Honduras. When the sloop arrived in the bay, Ned Lowe was appointed patron of the boat, which was employed in cutting of logwood and bringing it aboard to lade the ship, for that is the commodity they make the voyage for. In the boat were twelve men besides Lowe, who all go armed because of the Spaniards, from whom this logwood is but little better than stole. It happened that the boat one day came aboard just before dinner was ready, and Lowe desired that they might stay and dine. But the captain, being in a hurry for his lading, ordered them a bottle of rum and to take the other trip because no time should be lost. This provoked the boat's crew, but particularly Lowe, who takes up a loaded musket and fires at the captain, but missing him, shot another poor fellow through the head, then put off the boat, and with his twelve companions goes to sea. The next day they took a small vessel and go in her, make a black flag, and declare war against all the world. They then proceeded to the island of the Grand Caymans, intending to have fitted up their small vessel and prepare themselves as well as their circumstances would permit for their honourable employment 
but falling in company with George Lowther, another pirate there, who paying his compliments to Lowe, as great folks do to one another when they meet, and offering himself as an ally. Lowe accepted of the terms, and so the treaty was presently signed without plenipose or any other formalities. We have already given an account of their joint piracies under Lowther as chief commander till the 28th of May, 1722, when they took a brigantine of Boston bound thither from St. Christopher's, at which time they parted, and Edward Lowe went into the brigantine with forty or others, who chose him their captain. They took with them two guns, four swivels, six quarter casks of powder, provisions and some stores, and so left Lowther to prosecute his adventures with the men he had left. Their first adventure in the brigantine was on Sunday, the third day of June, when they took a vessel belonging to Amboy, John Hance, master, whom he rifled of his provisions and let go. The same day he met with a sloop, James Calhoun, master, off of Rhode Island, bound into that port, whom he first plundered and then cut away his bolt-sprit and all his rigging, also his sails from the yards, and wounded the master to prevent his getting in to give intelligence, and then stood away to southeastward with all the sail he could make, there being but little wind. Lowe judged right in making sail from the coast, for a longer stay had proved fatal to him, for notwithstanding the disabled condition he had rendered the sloop in, she made shift to get into Block Island, at twelve o'clock that night, and immediately dispatched a whaleboat to Rhode Island, which got thither by seven the next morning, with an account of the pirate, his force, and what had happened to him. As soon as the governor had received this information, he ordered a drum to beat up for volunteers, and two of the best sloops then in the harbor, to be fitted out. He gave commissions to one Captain John Headland and Captain John Brown, for ten days. The former had eight guns and two swivels, and the latter six guns, well fitted with small arms, and in both sloops, one hundred and forty stout fellows. All this was performed with so much expedition that before sunset they were under sail. Turning out of the harbor, at the same time the pirate was seen from Block Island, which gave great hopes that the sloops would be masters of her the next day. Which, however, did not happen, for the sloops returned into harbor some days afterwards without so much as seeing their enemy. After this escape, Captain Lowe went into port upon the coast, for he had not fresh water enough to run to the islands where he stayed a few days, getting provisions and what necessaries the crew wanted, and then sailed for purchase, as they call it, steering their course towards Marblehead. About the 12th of July, the brigantine sailed into the harbor of Port Rosemary, and there found thirteen ships and vessels, but none of force at anchor. They spread their black flag and ran in among them, low telling them from the brigantine they should have no quarters if they resisted. In the meantime, they manned and armed their boat, and took possession of every one of them, plundered them of what they thought fit, and converted one to their own use, via a schooner of eighty tons, aboard of which they put ten carriage guns and fifty men, and Low himself went captain, and named her the Fancy, making one Charles Harris, who was at first forced into their service out of the Greyhound of Boston by Lothar, of which ship Harris was second mate, captain of the brigantine out of these vessels they took several hands and increased the company to eighty men who all signed the articles 
some willing, and a few perhaps by force, and so sailed away from Marblehead. Some time after this they met with two sloops bound for Boston with provisions for the garrison, and the schooner coming up first attacked them, but there happening to be an officer and some soldiers on board who gave them a warm reception, Lowe chose to stay till he should be joined by the brigantine. In the meanwhile the sloops made the best of their way, and the pirates gave them chase two days, and at last lost sight of them in a fog. They now steered for the leeward islands, but in their voyage met with such a hurricane of wind that the like had not been known. The sea ran mountains high and seemed to threatter them every moment with destruction. It was no time now to look out for plunder, but to save themselves, if possible, from perishing. All hands were continually employed night and day on board the brigantine, and all little enough, for the waves went over her, so that they were forced to keep the pump constantly going, besides bailing with buckets. But finding themselves not able to keep her free, and seeing the utmost danger before their eyes, they turned to the tackle, and hoisted out their provisions and other heavy goods, and threw them overboard, with six of their guns, so that by lightening the vessel she might rise to the top of the sea with the waves. They were also going to cut away their mast, but considering how dangerous it would be to be left in such a condition, they resolved to delay it to the last, which was prudence in them to do. For a ship without masts or sails lies like a log upon the water, and if attacked must fight with disadvantage, the working of her being the most artful part of the engagement, because she may sometimes bring all her great guns on one side to bear on her enemy, when the disabled ship can do little or nothing. But to proceed, by throwing overboard their heavy goods, the vessel made considerable less water, and they could keep it under with the pump only, which gave them hopes and new life, so that, instead of cutting all away, they took necessary measures to secure the mast by making preventer shrouds and company, and then wore and lay to upon the other tack, till the storm was over. The schooner made somewhat better weather of it of the two, but she was pretty roughly handled notwithstanding, having split her mainsail, sprung her bolt-sprit, and cut her anchors from her bows. The brigantine, by running away to leeward, when she wore upon the larboard tack, had lost sight of the schooner, but not knowing whether she might be safe or not, as soon as the wind abated she set her mainsail and topsail, and made short trips to windward, and the next day had the good fortune to come in sight of their consort, who— upon a signal which the other knew bore down to her and the crew were overjoyed to meet again after such ill-treatment from the winds and seas after the storm low got safe to a small island one of the weathermost of the caribbees and there fitted their vessels as well as the place could afford they got provisions of the natives in exchange for goods of their own and as soon as the brigantine was ready "'Twas judged necessary to take a short cruise "'and leave the schooner in the harbor till her return. "'The brigantine sailed out accordingly "'and had not been out many days "'before they met a ship at sea "'that had lost all her mast, "'on board of whom they went "'and took her in money and goods "'to the value of one thousand pounds, "'and so left her in the condition they found her. "'This ship was bound home from Barbados, "'but losing her masts in the late storm was making for Antigua to refit, where afterwards she arrived. 
The storm just spoken of was found to have done incredible damage in those parts of the world, but however it appeared to have been more violent at Jamaica, both to the island and shipping. There was such a prodigious swell of sea that several hundred tons of stones and rocks were thrown over the wall of the town of Port Royal, and the town itself was overflowed, and above half destroyed, there being the next morning five-foot water from one end to the other. The cannon of Fort Charles were dismounted and some washed into the sea, and four hundred people lost their lives. A more melancholy sight was scarce ever seen when the water ebbed away, all the streets being covered with ruins of houses, wrecks of vessels, and a great number of dead bodies, for forty sail of ships in the harbor were cast away. The brigantine returned to the island where she had left the schooner, who being ready to sail it was put to the vote of the company what voyage to take next, and herein they followed the advice of the captain, who thought it not advisable to go any farther to leeward because of the men of war who were cruising in their several stations, which they were not at all fond of meeting, and therefore it was agreed to go to the Azores, or Western Islands. The latter end of July, Lowe took a French ship of thirty-four guns and carried her along with him to the Azores. He came into St. Michael's Road the 3rd of August and took seven sail that were lying there, v. the Nostradam, Mer Diden, Captain Roach Commander, the Dove, Captain Cox, the Rose Pink, formerly of Man of War, Captain Thompson, another English ship, Captain Chandler, and three other vessels. He threatened all with present death who resisted, which struck such a terror to them that they yielded themselves up a prey to the villains without firing a gun. The pirates being in great want of water and fresh provisions, Lowe sent to the governor of St. Michael's for a supply, and promised upon that condition to release the ships he had taken, but otherwise to burn them all, which demand the governor thought it not prudent to refuse, but sent the provision he required, upon which he released six of the ships, after he had plundered of them what he thought fit, and the other, v. the Rose Pink, was made a pirate ship, which Lowe himself took command of. The pirates took several of the guns out of the French ship and mounted them aboard the Rose, which proved very fit for their turn, and condemned the former to the flames. They took all of the crew out of her but the cook, who they said, being a greasy fellow, would fry well in the fire. So the poor man was bound to the mainmast and burnt in the ship, to the no small diversion of Lowe and his myrmidons. Lowe ordered the schooner to lie in the fair between St. Michael's and St. Mary's, where, about the 20th of August, Captain Carter, in the right galley, had the ill fortune to come in her way and because at first they showed inclination to defend themselves and what they had, the pirates cut and mangled them in a barbarous manner, particularly some Portuguese passengers, two of which, being friars, they triced up at each arm of the foreyard, but let them down again before they were quite dead, and this they repeated several times out of sport. Another Portuguese, who was also Captain Carter's passenger, putting on a sorrowful countenance at what he saw acted, one of this vile crew attacked him upon the deck, saying he did not like his looks, and thereupon gave him a blow across his belly with his cutlash that cut out his bowels, and he fell down dead without speaking a word. 
at the same time another of these rogues cutting out a prisoner missed his mark and captain lowe standing in the way very opportunely received the stroke upon his under jaw which laid the teeth bare upon this the surgeon was called who immediately stitched up the wound but lowe finding fault with the operation the surgeon being tolerably drunk as it was customary for everybody to be struck lowe such a blow with his fist that broke out all the stitches and then bid him sew up his chops himself and be damned so that lowe made a very pitiful figure for some time after when they had plundered captain carter's ship several of them were for burning her as they had done the french man but it was otherwise resolved at last for after they had cut her cables rigging and sails to pieces they left her to the mercy of the sea after these depredations they steered for the island of madeira where missing other booty they took up with a fishing-boat and with two old men and a boy in her one of which they detained on board and but sent the other ashore with a flag of truce demanding a boat of water of the governor on pain of taking away the old man's life whom they threatened to hang at the yard-arm upon their refusal but the thing being complied with the old man was honorably as the pirates say discharged and all three much handsomer clothed than when they took them from this island they sailed to the canaries but meeting with no prey there they continued their course for the cape de verde islands and at bonavista took a ship called the liverpool merchant captain golding from whom they stole a great quantity of provisions and dry goods three hundred gallons of brandy two guns and carriages a mast yard and hawsers besides six of his men and then would not let them trade there nor at st nicholas but obliged captain golding to go with his ship to the isle of may the pirate also took among these islands a ship belonging to liverpool scott commander two portuguese sloops bound for brazil a small english sloop trading there james Pease master bound to santa cruz and three sloops from st thomas bound to curacao the master's names were lily staples and simpkins all which they plundered and then let go about their business except for one sloop which they fitted up for the following purpose lowe had heard by one of the above-mentioned ships that two small galleys were expected every day at the western islands v the greyhound captain glass and the joliffe captain aram the former of which was designed to be fitted for the piratical trade to brazil if things happened to their minds they manned the sloop and sent her in quest of one or both of these ships to the western islands aforesaid while they careened their ship rose at one of the cape de verdes but now fortune that had hitherto been so propitious to them left her minions and baffled for the present all their hopes for the sloop missing of their prey was reduced to great necessities for want of provisions and water so they ventured to go ashore at st michael's for a supply and pass for a trader but they played their part so awkwardly that they were suspected by the governor to be what they really were and he soon was put out of doubt by a visit some portuguese made them who happened unluckily to be the passengers in captain carter's ship when lowe took her and knew the gentlemen's faces very well upon which the whole crew was conducted into the castle where they were provided for as long as they lived 
Lowe, in the meantime, did not fare quite so ill, but had his intended voyage to Brazil spoiled by the oversettling of his ship when she was upon the careen, whereby she was lost, so that he was reduced to his old schooner, which he called the Fancy, aboard of which they all went to the number of one hundred, as vile rogues as ever ended their lives at Tyburn. They proceeded now to the West Indies, but before they had gotten far on their voyage, they attacked a rich Portuguese ship, called the Nostra Signora de Victoria, bound home from Baia, and after some resistance took her. Lowe tortured several of the men to make them declare where the money, which he supposed they had on board, lay, and extorted by that means a confession that the captain had, during the chase, hung out of the cabin window a bag with eleven thousand more doors which as soon as he was taken he cut the rope off and let drop into the sea. Lo, upon hearing what a prize had escaped him, raved like a fury, swore a thousand oaths, and ordered the captain's lips to be cut off, which he broiled before his face, and afterwards murthered him and all the crew, being thirty-two persons. After this bloody action they continued their course till they came to the northward of all the islands, and there they cruised for about a month, in which time they made prizes of the following vessels, v. a snow from New York to Curaçao, Robert Leonard Master, a sloop from the bay, bound to New York, Craig Master, a snow from London and Jamaica, bound to New York, and the Stanhope Pink, Andrew Delbridge Master, from Jamaica to Boston which last they burnt because of Lowe's irreconcilable aversion to New England men. End of chapter 13, part 1. Recording by Kathleen Nelson, Austin, Texas, April 2010.